on today's episode, The Mental Hurdle from Injured to Athlete with Dr. David Meyer. Welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. Welcome back. Um, at the time of recording, my business signs got um, placed up on the walls yesterday, so I'm super pumped about that. I'll definitely put something up on social media. Um, there is a big glass, really crisp looking sign that says the Run Smarter Physiotherapy Clinic with the lovely um, man running over the book logo. <laughs> and I have one placed in what is now my uh, treatment room slash podcast studio room. And there's one placed in what will be the rehab gym and love them, love the outcome of it. And so, yeah, I'll definitely share that out. Uh, I think last time we spoke, I mentioned that I was having just a little bit of um, discomfort on the inside of my knee when I was going running and it was like a, a one out of 10 pain that lasted maybe two minutes, one to two minutes during my run. So decided not to do any long runs and increase the frequency but decrease the duration and so ran about 4k's but most days and as of yesterday totally pain-free during my 4k run and today absolutely pain-free during my 5k run and so I'll slowly get back into my usual routine but um, keep you guys updated that's just a nice little maybe a little lesson if you are managing an injury yourself and struggling to increase your mileage and you're running two or three times a week, try spreading it out over multiple days. And so you're, you're running shorter, but running more frequently. Maybe that's a little tip that you can try out yourself and see how symptoms behave. Um, David Meyer reached out to me and said, Hey, I've got like this uh, book, um, this website. I'd love to jump on your podcast if uh, you want to have me. And so I checked him out, checked out a few of his other previous interviews. And his book on Amazon is titled Injured to Elite, a guide to empowering yourself to transform your life after injury. He's a PT. He was the medical and rehab coordinator for the St. Louis Cardinals, which I know anyone who's listening in the US, which I know is a lot of you, um, might be really... Um, Excited to hear that, uh, but I, I don't think it's going to really strike a chord here over in Australia. But um, yeah, his Escalade's really nice and really loved listening to him on other interviews talking about his understanding of pain. And if you know anything about me, you'll know that 
I'm a sucker for talking about pain science. It's um, a big fascination of mine and the, the depth of knowledge that he had and the insight that he had with other pain researchers, um, some of my favorite pain researchers, really struck a chord with me. So I said, yeah, it'd be great to come on and talk about the mental hurdles that people have to encounter, have to endure to try and transform from being an injured athlete to a pain-free runner. And so that's exactly what we talk about today. Dr. David Meyer, welcome to the podcast. Brody, thank you for having me. You're, well, it's a pleasure. Yeah, I'm really excited to delve into today's topic. Um, I think I might call it the mental hurdle from injured to athlete. And it's, it's along with like pain science, it's one of my big like kind of fascinations with dealing with the mental side of things because, you know, being a physiotherapist and learning at uni, all of it is the physical side of things, you know, the physical rehab. And we don't really talk about the psychological component of returning from injury, but that's the exact population we work with. But before we dive into that, can you give the audience a bit of a background information about you, who you are and uh, how your your career's kind of progressed to where it is now? Yeah, sure. So my name's David Meyer. By trade, I'm a sports physical therapist or physiotherapist, and my dream was to work in professional baseball, which I know is not as popular in Australia, but they do have a league, and there are some players that come to the States and play. And that dream of mine was kind of like my injured to a lead journey. I was playing baseball. For me, the injury was the sprained ankle, nothing too crazy or severe, but for me, it did quote unquote, hamstring my, my baseball career. And I wanted to figure things out on my own. I was a short, I'm, I'm five foot five. I'm not a very big athlete. And so for me, I always wanted to figure out how to do things on my own. For me, once I realized I was capping out, I actually graduated from undergrad and then became, uh, after my bachelor's degree, I actually went back to play collegiate baseball at a junior college. And that's when the ankle sprain happened. So at that point, when I realized, okay, that's as far as I'm going to take it. I wanted to carry that dream on because I lost my father, actually, who was a diehard baseball fan in 2006. The Cardinals, actually, St. Louis Cardinals beat the Mets in the, in the playoffs, and I wanted to work in professional baseball to at least carry on that, that drive and that passion, that why statement. And I'm very fortunate enough by knocking a lot of doors down and staying steadfast in my endeavors and having amazing mentors from John Cavanaugh, Mike Reinold, Kevin Wilk, Sue Falcone, informally at times, informally at times, I accomplished the dream, got hired by the St. Louis Cardinals to become their medical and rehab coordinator. And about a year into my journey there, I realized that the players were going through, after injury especially, of course you had a lot of Tommy John and UCL reconstructions, things of that nature, they were going through an immense identity crisis that I certainly wasn't learning about formally in PT school. I was learning about pain science to some degree. It was still a, a little bit younger and not spoken about as much. But I thought it was very interesting that the athlete is suffering actually in many ways more emotionally and, and mentally than they are physically, and it affects their physical healing journey. Um, and I can go into the details there maybe as we peel the onion back, but that's that's become really my thing, the mental and the emotional element to the injured to elite quote-unquote journey. And 
wrote a book on it, Injured to Elite, started a podcast that features people's journey, really capturing that element of it, and now creating a process for those to, to go through rehab with this added element, this integrated piece. Well done. And congratulations for like achieving that dream. You, you've set your a bar very high with your career ambitions and then you you got it with the thank you the st louis cardinals that's amazing and uh it's good to see like if you focus on like a dream if you've got that goal and you just focus on it find the right mentors and then achieve it that's that's really cool to hear in itself uh how soon into working with these athletes did you kind of appreciate the importance of the emotional um, psychological side of injury because like, like we say it's not we don't really look at it too much um, was it like did it take you some time to find your feet and recognize the importance of that or was it fairly obvious straight away so I should preface it I was a psych major I always loved psychology I think I stole by accident the collected papers by Freud when I was like <laughs> in undergrad I was just always interested in that element but it was my own journey first. My first year with the Cardinals, I came in there and I was overwhelmed. I was doing a lot more than I ever bargained for in terms of the athletic training pieces like shuffling players on flights and the administrative side that I, as a physio, had really very little experience or training with. And I was, you know, talk about talk about mindfulness. I needed to kind of reset myself there. My first, I think towards the end of my first year, I had a player on the training room table. He was between six and 12 months out of Tommy John rehab. And it was going okay. It wasn't going great for him. I had a bunch of players in the training room, a bunch of players in the gym area, some players throwing on the field. And here he was sitting there. And I can tell as an intuitive empath that he wasn't feeling right mentally. And like we do in a, a high volume clinic in the States, at least we pep our patient up, we give them the superficial, we try and get the show on the road and be supportive still. And I did that, but I also thought and felt that something was off. And instead of me kind of having him come in the training room office, I didn't. And I, about six months later, three, three to six months later, when he kind of left the rehab group was with a team in the minor leagues. I came in one day to the facility and I found out that this player thank God, unsuccessfully attempted suicide in like a really serious attempt, very, very dire circumstance. And actually his roommate who was in the rehab group saved his life. And that had a profound impact on me. My eyes bolted open when I was hearing that from the farm director with the Cardinals. And I was sitting there saying to myself, oh my God, I was, I was there. I felt it. There was something else maybe I could have done. So my career going forward with the Cardinals, I, I think I went through a burnout phase, which you were kind of, you're mentioning about my goal and dream. It comes with a cost. And for me, it was burnout. And I, I don't know if I'm quite through that, but I decided to take a different approach in my, at least it wasn't right away, but it was slowly manifesting into a different ideology and how I can help these, these young athletes and these developing athletes and it took about three to five years after that for me to get to a point where I'm thinking about writing a book and featuring people on a podcast and, and being a disruptor, so to speak. Yeah. Like the type of population that you're working with would be like, just because it's so professional, it's such like a high level. There's like, um, 
tangents it's very hard to relate to like being in the public eye and like having an immense amount of like like relying on this career like your physical performance as your income and like there being a lot of amount of money with like contracts and things like that and I, I I tend to think that there would be some crossover when it comes to the injured to athlete that recreational runners the the listeners of this podcast can relate to and you mentioned identity crisis at the start you noticed that there was an identity crisis when these athletes were injured and I did in the past I've talked to Carrie Cheadle who was the author of Rebound and she often talked about runners when they're injured having an identity crisis as well because they see themselves as a runner they tell their friends they're a runner and they love being a runner having that identity and then when they're injured and they can't run and they have to spend a couple of weeks or even several months off running or they have to cancel their marathon preparations and that identity starts to be put into question um, in their minds anyway. When you talk about identity crisis, is it the same kind of thing? Is it the same like they are in the public eye as an athlete and then when they're injured they no longer see themselves as, as an athlete or do you have a different take on things? It's an interesting comparison because there is similarities and there's differences. And the athlete I was mentioning signed for some bonus money coming in as a drafted player. and But at the same time, the team could move forward rather quickly. That player also came from a socioeconomic place where the family was riding high on make it to the big leagues and, and, and sign a contract one day. So... That's a lot of pressure, and I think there's similarities in the sense of that individual sees themselves as baseball player maybe even first, just like a runner might prioritize running over a lot of things in their life. But the athlete, the professional athlete's been competing for so long in their life at that point where they don't really know anything different. Uh, a lot of runners that are recreational runners have chosen that pathway, and many times it's an outlet for them. It's something that they love so much, and, and actually, at times, when they lose the ability to run, it affects them in, in sometimes a more powerful way than it does an athlete who sometimes needs a break uh, that's playing professionally, and it, it almost, they lose their mojo. So I think that's the, the compare and the contrast. What I found, though, is we all kind of maintain no matter what even if we're a physiotherapist like myself that worked in professional baseball I think that our identity whether it's a runner a ball player that never leaves us and and it it evolves and I think my approach here and what I'm building is the ideology and the mentality that what you're going through on your journey as a runner after an injury or a ball player and the of course the not only the sacrifices you're making but the 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 hardships the the skills that you pick up on the self-awareness these things are going to help you in your relationships they're going to help you in your academic training they're going to help you in your career it's representative and symbolic of you the person and i think for a runner who's chosen to run when they learn about using a mental skill, mindfulness, training their proximal hamstring differently or using their core differently, 
Well, they're leveling up as a human being. And I think that's what I've learned from peak performers that are not signed to a contract. They're looking to get the most out of life. They're looking to be their best. So I look at the injury as, okay, well, this is going to affect your running time. It's going to affect your training block. But how about this? This is actually another level to your life and your and, and as it pertains to your running career, a challenge that every runner is going to face. So that's, mm. yeah. Is it, I'm just saying like a runner being injured and I was going to ask the question of like, what are some mindset um, limitations some beliefs, um, mental limitations that could hinder their actual recovery, hinder their physical recovery, hinder their return back to sport. Um, but it seems like what you're doing is <clears throat> you're almost reframing their outlook, like when they're injured and unable to run or unable to run as fast as they want or as far as they want, they're, they're maybe framing it a different way that's hindering their limitations. But it seems like you're changing that outlook or changing that narrative. Would that be um, how you would approach it? It's the underlying piece to it is helping them turn the page and, and create the rest of their story and let that story kind of leak out into the other domains of their lives to, to become even, you know, leveling up the other elements of their life through the, through the hardship and through the journey. So yes, it, it is kind of a narrative shift, but there are many mindset pieces that come in to the, the, the injury process that we see. I think with a runner, it's, of course, going to be, how do I get back to my schedule and how do I get, how do I fix the injury? How do I fix the Achilles tendinopathy or the anterior knee pain or the hip impingement? How do I fix this? That's where I maybe digress a little bit from NOI, from Dr. Butler and Mosley. And I'm not really trying to reinvent the pain science paradigm. I've learned and worked with some of the best in the world that really have a far better understanding than I do on the neurophysiology and the, the nervous system element of pain. For me, I think there's this amazing window of, uh, of opportunity when I, you're at what I call your time zero moment, your lowest point after your setback. It could be a mental setback too. I think this is a tremendous opportunity as a high performer, as a runner, as whatever athlete to use that as fuel to personally develop outside of just even the running domain because you're going to have to develop patience because you're going to be impatient when you're when you're injured and you can't train you're going to have mood swings your emotions are going to get the best of you these things are going to come up and if you can utilize approaches mindfulness with your rehab well, then you're certainly going to be able to use that when you're maybe getting into an argument with, with your significant other. Maybe when you're figuring out how do you get to the next level in your career. It's, it's going to leak into that. And we just don't talk about it formally. So I've been accused of, well, he's trying to be like the Tony Robbins or the Gary V of the, the physical therapy space. And I'm like, yeah, maybe. Maybe I do see it similarly that our profession 
whether in Australia or the States has been around this thesis that we can fix injuries and we can fix people's pain. And I'm like, well, first of all, we can't because I'm not a lobotomist and we're not removing people's nervous system. So we're going to have pain. And then after that, I say, well, what is my identity? Who is David Meyer? I had this dream. I was a short dude. And, you know, I had my love for my father who loved sports. Like, what is the bigger picture for me? And for me, like, I can't just go to the grave knowing I just help people get through pain. I want to help people make transformation in their life. And how many times does that individual come to you, that runner? What are you running from? And then they think about it. And, and usually, well, I was obese and, and running changed my life. It changed my self-image. Or I went through a bad breakup and all I had was the ability to run. And then we know it means more than just the, the, the time. We know it means more than who you're competing against. It's your whole narrative, like you mentioned, Brody. And this is, uh, this is the underpinnings, I guess, of, of, of the book and, and the show and, and all that stuff. Like talking to injured runners constantly, like whether it's in like consults. Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five-day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow or whether it's like just on social media, people reach out. Uh, I find it some people really struggle when they are injured and it's very tough when you're in pain and when you're not doing the stuff you love, when you're not doing the thing that is your, the only outlet for your like positive well-being. It's very hard to <clears throat> kind of focus on the positives or maybe reframe it in a way. Yeah. Um, but if you're talking about say, mindset is a good start <clears throat> appreciating or recognizing these emotions what would be some first steps like some practical first steps if someone's injured if they're really down if they want to get back to running they're extremely frustrated with those mood swings like you were um, explaining where can they start what's some practical takeaways there's a lot of the practical side too so half of it is the narrative shift the perspective but then in my i guess you can call it almost methodology or approach there are mental skills there are strategies there are things that um that i do believe in heavily so i've worked with a sports psychologist for the last year and a half who has his phd from england sports psych and part of part of the requirements to get your cmpc through the applied sports psychology uh association here in the states and I learned a lot from him because physiotherapists, especially here in the States, were not as psychologically informed, unfortunately. So for me, learning concepts like going deeper into those mood swings and leaning into those things, that wasn't really something that was taught to me in, in, in PT school. For me, I was taught, integrate the family, figure out the cultural differences and, and, and make sure that you're aware of those to integrate educational uh, pieces of your work with them. But when it came to like actually psychologically informed practices, I didn't have it. So what I've learned actually is you the only way out is through. A lot of times the stages of grief, people are well aware of it. And in injury, certainly you go through the stages of grief with tissue loss or tissue damage. And of course, acceptance is the toughest element of that. How do I accept what my circumstances? So the first step of 
my process is acknowledging the state that you're in, which is going into your senses mindfully. Maybe you can call it a body scan, right? Not trying to change it, not trying to fix it like Andy Potacombe talks about, right? Not trying to change anything going on there. And and all the physios you're seeing and all the surgeons and all the naturopaths and every anybody you've worked with, strength coach, they're all trying to they're they're all trying to give you something to to attack it, even if it's not your right knee and it's your knee. They're they're helping you on your hip directly to your knee. But I learned working with sports psychologist Dr. Zur, well, let's just lean into those mood swings. Let's lean into the thoughts and the emotions. And a lot of people will say to me, and I've had parents say, can you talk less about the mental piece? And this is really unnerving for my son, or I just heard that this week. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, good. That's where we want to go further. That's where a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist would explore. Now, I'm not trying to treat depression. I'm not going out of scope here. But we can't be afraid. Even if we are, we have to go forward into these dark little cauldrons of mixed bag of emotions. So you out there who's going through that, it's going to take the first step to acknowledge that piece of, all right, it might, it might be tough, but I, I'm going to think about where I'm at and what I'm feeling. Um, is that the first step? Like, cause I can imagine a lot of people are going through say frustration and they're maybe really short with people, really angry and kind of moody. And then <clears throat> they just think it's because of the injury. They just think they're not running. Um, is it to just go like deeper? Um, because is it maybe just asking why? Is it maybe just like facing it? Cause people can say, I'm just moody, frustrated because I'm not running. That's my only outlet for positive well-being, and I, I, I'm unable to do it because I've got this sore foot. Is that a way? Are they kind of ignoring it in a way? Are they not really facing that emotion because they're not going deep enough? Yeah, I think it's it's self-awareness. I th- the common patterns we see, ign- ignoring it, avoiding it, or the other is terrified. I'm not going to do anything. I can't run anymore. And it, people have a really tough time living in the middle, I've, I've found, in finding that balance. I, I don't necessarily always think that the best piece is, all right, day one, we're just going to, we're going to change everything and I'm going to change my mindset. I'm not going to, I'm not going to let negative thoughts come into my mind. That's not possible. There's something called the white bear experiment that's proven if you if you tell somebody not to think about the white bear, you're going to think about the white bear a lot more. So you can't do that. What I'm talking about is a little bit of like be real with you. Not really even so much of like how do I go forward? Like just what's going on? Like when you, when you drive home from a really long day at work and as you're driving home, you're like, what the heck just happened today? I had these three, four meetings like like you're processing and and it's almost just like all these things just going around and you're so exhausted that you can't really even, uh, you're just with it. You're present with it. That's kind of what it is. It's kind of like living in that, that fatigued state for a little bit of like, this is how I feel. This, this is a roller coaster. I, I really do want to get rid of this. This, this is really crushing me right now. 
and then starting to allow those those internal questions to start the self dialogue going in the direction of well what why is this so difficult for me why is it affecting me emotionally so much like you said and then as you peel that well wait why why would it be so terrible if i if i lost a month of my training in the long term what is it that it gives me on the short term and then hopefully you can start to use a curiosity that's really taught in 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 the mindfulness space to start to break through some of what you're going through cuz curiosity psychiatrists have looked into it it's an expansiveness it's an openness and when we're injured we tend to feel closed off constricted everything's tightening up around us the body and our mind and our emotions and the swings and so that curiosity can help to diffuse some of that and let your mind go in those different directions maybe not linear like your mileage or your your rehab process the mind is not linear mm. and then i think if you then switch gears into what you're talking about before about taking looking at the bigger picture looking at you outside of just being a runner and or an athlete and looking at you as a person and using these sort of challenges as like opportunities okay well maybe now is an opportunity to strengthen like my weak links or learn something about myself or you know find other outlets that actually might be quite positive so that i'm a bit more diverse next time that i can't run or you know building up tendon capacity or power or maybe there was a mistake that led to that injury and learning from that injury and becoming a not a not only just like a a well-rounded runner but a well-rounded athlete a well-rounded person and taking that big that big picture and having that different kind of focus on things um would you say that comes that comes next once you delve deep into those emotions once you ask yourself why a couple of times and explore that with curiosity is it then taking that big step or looking at that bigger picture or am i jumping a couple of steps there yeah, I, I kind of put that in as the last step. It's the last chapter of the book, finding higher purpose. It's really once you've kind of, because people need to go through the journey. And I think I, I've probably pushed people too quickly. Day one, they're meeting me and they're telling me maybe they have breast cancer and they have shoulder, they have a rotator cuff tear that's causing, and, I, and I'm talking about how their entire journey of breast cancer and their rotator cuff tear is going to fuel their their elite journey in life. And it's like, okay, hold on. I get it, but I need some time on this. So I've learned that that comes with time. And I think that's probably a later step. I love what you said. And I totally agree and coach the people I work with to do that, to focus on where you can put your energy towards developing maybe even what's already strong and, and developing that further, whether it's your lower half and your upper half is affected, vice versa. Uh, working on using that self-understanding you have about your body to maybe even build up further resilience and train, tr- change your regimen. I, I definitely think that's a huge piece. But then there's the piece of some of the studies like in mindfulness. And there was a study that showed increased dispositional mindfulness has been correlated to a decreased perception of pain. And uh, I, th- I think it's... Um, Faisal, I'll get you the name of the author of the study, 
was brought to me by one of my, my guests on the podcast, Dr. Um, Judd Brewer, who wrote the book, Unwinding Anxiety, psychiatrist, neuroscientist. And then I think about that. Well, if I can sell somebody on the idea that mindfulness is going to help maybe your, even your pain, not directly thinking about it that way, but ultimately, well, then what's mindfulness going to do for that person's own self-efficacy in other parts of their life and just their experience in life? And I'm not saying everybody's got to become Buddhist and go meditate and cross their legs and go do yoga. I'm not really, that's some of the things that I I do enjoy, but it's just about if you can integrate some of these higher level processes mentally on a daily basis, it's hard to imagine that that's not going to help positively impact your life like pretty much right away. Mm. One of the one of the reasons I was really excited to get you on was I had to listen to some of your podcast episodes. I had to listen to some of your content and saw how well versed you were around pain science as well as the psychology side of things. And you were referencing some of my favorite pain scientists as well, like Lorimer Mosley, um, a good Aussie here. And I I really liked your, I guess diversity with trying different things or like working out different things and changing your scope rather than, than just this fine scope of physiotherapy in yeah. or physical therapy into different domains. Um, so pain science is one of my fascinating topics I love talking about. And I just wanted to ask when it comes to what, you know, the facts about pain, what are, what do you think an athlete would need to know what do you think they need to grasp in order for them to transform from injured to athlete the thing that kind of like struck me in my tracks which you might have heard me talk about this on the podcast was having dr mark hutchinson out of the university of adelaide come on and i heard him on the nba symposium a few years ago the great thing about professional sports all over the world whether it's the premiership or wherever they get the best of the best medical practitioners and healthcare workers. And they bring a lot of you in to hear the, to the States to lead a lot of the programs. I know uh, quite a bit. And we, they had a great symposium with Dr. Hutchinson, the NBA, their internal kind of uh, performance, medical performance kind of uh, current concepts. And Dr. Hutchinson was there to talk about pain science. And I'm like, Oh, this is awesome. And my friend Dan O'Brien, who's the director of performance for the NBA Players Association, is like, you might want to connect with Dr. Hutchinson. And he started talking about the glial system of the brain, of the nervous system. And I'm like, yeah, 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 the astrocytes, the, the supportive structures, I remember those. And he starts talking about, well, you know, Lorimer Mosley and David Butler, who, you know, authors of Explain Pain and the NOI group and these things are talking about with thought viruses. And I and I've you know, sorry guys, but I I definitely have piggybacked off them and made my, you know, it's their hard work and I've easily kind of used it to my advantage talking about negative thought viruses and thought vaccines right before the pandemic happened. Uh, seriously, like talking about thought vaccines like a month before, which was really funny. But Dr. Hutchinson tells me, "Okay, We've discovered pattern recognition molecules, which is the cell, which might be a thought virus or related to them. And I'm like, what? 
You mean to tell me at a cellular level, maybe we can understand the biopsychosocial elements of healing? And so from a spiritual standpoint, one of my, I, I have a mentor that's spiritual and I have a mentor that the sports psychologist that is very empirical. Like, don't talk to me about the spiritual stuff. So I have a nice bag there of both of them. The spiritual one, John Denny, he's very big on the power of thought and how it can impact your healing. Yes, perfect health. And that's going to help me feel better. And not empirical, but he believes in it. And I do to some degree too. And so when I hear this from Dr. Hutchinson about the non-neuronal structures, the, the, the part of the brain matter that's not just nerves, but literally tissue that is an interface between your thoughts and, and your immunity and biomarkers of all these things, inflammation, to me that was stopping your tracks. Somebody is proving in science that thinking and thoughts are literally impacting our ability to heal and stay healthy our immune response. And that froze me. Because now the nice things that Sarno and Butler and Mosley are talking about, and all Shirley Sarman, I mean, come on, the list goes on and on. I am late to the game. You, the work you're doing, this is serious stuff. The fact that our thinking and, and oftentimes negative thinking is making us ill and perhaps the tendinopathies. But I think about it in terms of somebody who has the chronic tendinopathy, and I, and I ask them, have you stopped playing tennis? Have you stopped running? And the answer is always no. The, the thought of getting better, that's one thing, but what about the psychological side of why can't you take a deload and get to that point? When it, at what point in time is pain science not even relevant and this is kind of digressing from the initial part, but at what point in time do you go and say, all right, I need to understand what my addiction is to, to running or playing tennis, and I need to understand why I can't get to a point where maybe I'm okay with less. So those are the two sides of it. Number one for the athlete, know that it's not just your nerves or your joints, it's actually your brain matter that interfaces with the rest of you that's impacting chronic pain especially. And then the second part is your pain, sure, is related to the injury to some degree, but if you're not addressing what led you to the injury, not just from a biomechanical perspective, but a training perspective and a lifestyle perspective, if that's not acknowledged as well, way before the pain even happened, then you have work to do there as well. I was just thinking to myself a couple of thoughts that people might have and why the importance of narrative is so important when it comes to injuries. Um, when we're talking about the bridging the gap between the thoughts and pain, and it seems like, you know, you're kind of learning both sides of things, but then uncovering, like you say, that brain tissue has the capacity to like the thoughts are connected to the physical side of things. It's almost like bridging the gap, connecting the dots to a lot that we already know. And I know that when I was dealing with a lot of people with chronic pain, I noticed a very common pattern of where their thoughts straight away go when you talk about things. Or if you talk about their family or if you talk about sport on the weekend, um, immediately what they go to, they, the, they would find something negative about it or they'd find like a um, doom and gloom, like their injuries. Catastrophize, yeah. 
catastrophize, um, just have a negative outlook on a lot of things. Maybe a, a history of anxiety, maybe a history of depression. Yes. And going on to develop this chronic pain, I've found that kind of pattern and was like, why is this the case? Why is there such a common link here? And that's a, an extreme example, I guess you could, could say, but it still applies to these minor cases of thoughts, narratives, doubts, fears, um, lacking confidence to return to certain, um, lack of confidence returning to pain-free running or just if someone's injured and they think that they shouldn't be a runner, maybe my body's not built to be a runner or maybe I'm only built to run short distances because every time I train for a marathon, my body breaks down. Maybe I'm just not cut out to run a marathon or when they're injured, they think it's because one leg's longer than the other or they think it's because their glutes aren't firing or they think it's because they have flat feet. And uh-huh. it's whether that's true or not, whether the link is there or not, which the science will show it's probably not, the the actual um, real side of you thinking that is what's going to be hindering you and giving you an unnecessary hurdle towards recovery. Would you agree with that? Yeah. There's a quote that comes to mind from Les Brown or he got it from somewhere and he's, it goes something like, don't argue for your limitations. You know, if you give it, if you make an argument for your limitations, then you get to keep them. And, and I think that's really very much what you just said there. And again, another thing I thought of was Malcolm Gladwell, and I don't know the research behind it, so don't kill me for it, but he talks about in Outliers, he talks about the town, I believe it was in Italy, right, where their lifespan was was longer, and they were smokers, they drank tons of wine, and it was the element of community and social support that the hypothesis, at least, that was working there provided. So the person, the archetype of who you just mentioned, Brody, we peel that back. We know that what was that individual's family dynamic like? What was that relationship like with their with with the people that taught them life? And what's that relationship like with people now? And you know that it's problematic. It's not all rainbow. I mean, it's not rainbow sunshine and butterflies for any of us in the world that I know. But you know that there is some kind of learned habitual way that person connects not only with themselves but how they connect with others in the world how they how they view themselves is based off of how they learned how to connect so if the sky is always gray or the glass is always half empty then we know that there's a learned pattern here and it's tough many of your listeners are going to be that individual and it doesn't make you less of a person. It doesn't make you screwed or, 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 or um, wrong. And I think this is the time zero point. This is when you say to yourself, you know, things don't seem to go my way in a lot of things. My career seems to always have problems. My relationships seem to always, it's always his or her fault. It's not about blaming yourself for that. But what if you just take a moment of saying, hmm, this pain sucks. Pain is not fun. I don't know many people that enjoy it besides Goggins. But perhaps there are some things that led you there that are not just the leg length. I mean, we know it's not the leg length discrepancy based off of the last episode, but maybe it's not even just biomechanical. Or I mean, that's actually 
a good point to make right there. The fact that so many might think it's the leg length and it's not. And well, then what is it? Is it the, the mental load? Load management is such a buzzword in, in professional sports. And I'm like, are you testing the mental load? And then they're like, oh yeah, well, we're looking at their sympathetic arousal. And I'm like, forget about that. Ask them how their relationship is. Ask them how, about how, their, how their career is going. Just get a, a subjective understanding of the, the the load this individual is experiencing with their experience, and it, and if that is something that needs to shift, if that's the there's a funny I'm sorry to go on a rant. There's a YouTube video of a couple fighting, and uh, there's a nail I think in in one of their heads, and and they're kind of you know dancing around. It's you know around the nail, the obvious that's right there. And they're not mentioning it. It's like, well, what's the nail in your head right now that you're not addressing? You know, what is the piece in your life that is probably most at play in terms of that thinking pattern you have that is impact, you know, is impacting your, your healing. I have a career I hate and I run like the wind because I need something. Well, at some point, you have to think about your career. Hmm. Uh, I don't want to pretend or like create the illusion that I'm a, like a psychologist or anything. But when you're talking about delving deep into why you think certain ways or how you interpret certain situations, um, it's. I think it's also good to remember that you are not your thoughts. You're not your ideas because... Uh, again, back to that identity sort of thing, people might not want to address it or why their, their outlook is so poor on a lot of things and a lot of situations because, um, or, or they might just think it's who they are. They might just think, look, I'm just, um, my, my family was like this. This is like my, um, nationality kind of, or like how we deal with things culturally. This is just what we focus on. This is just who I am, but maybe just sort of, unpeeling it a little bit and being a bit more honest with yourself and probably thinking that you're not your ideas, you're not your thoughts. You can like develop into something that's, um, you can change the way that you interpret social situations or that you sort of, um, deal with certain situations. It's not something that's ingrained in you. Um, it's definitely a skill to change how you interpret environments and how you interpret circumstances. But, yeah, there is the ability to change. There is um, some room there for improvement, improving yourself. And um, I think a lot of people can be quite fixed and think this is just who they are. Um, would you agree with that? I would. I never liked the traditional thinking in psychology and even from learning from mentors who said, well, personality is, is totally enduring and it doesn't change. I, I never sat well with the idea that we can sell someone short Maybe their recovery won't be great. Their prognosis is limited. I never believed in that. I always believed in what if somebody can make an incredible transformation and and make incredible change internally. I'd rather be proven wrong. And so I agree, Brody, 100% with what you just said. And another thing is we tend to give agency to our different body parts. We give agency. What I mean by that is we, we give almost an identity to our injury, to our knee. The common thing we hear, I'm sure you've heard this is just cut the leg off, cut the arm off. And it's almost like there's a detachment that they have 
from that part of their body. And Dr. Hutchinson talked to me about the fact that they were exploring this in research. And I, and I think what you just said is we give agency to our way of thinking. I'm a negative person. I, I'm an anxious person. I think it's important to take a moment and, and realize that what's going on in your brain in many ways is happening autonomously, but our response to what happens autonomously, there is a window there. So you don't, you, your thoughts make up part of who you are, but they're not who you are. And you do have a window to respond to those thoughts and that window just might be the injury that you have. Nice. How about um, when it comes to runners who really lack confidence or have anxiety about returning to running and flaring up an injury and they yeah. just really struggle with the confidence side of things? Do you have any practical tips or mental processes that they can go through in order to slowly rebuild that confidence? Yeah. There's three elements of intrinsic motivation that I'm sure you know about, but I'll go over for the listeners. There's a theory called self-determination theory, which basically is when a practitioner asks a lot of questions to help that individual come to the, the answers. And I always think of the, the movie 40-Year-Old Virgin when Steve Carell is hitting on uh, the lady that works at the bookstore and just asking her constant questions of how do I make you feel, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, so that's the corny way of thinking about it. But the questions to ask yourself or the three elements of intrinsic motivation to build confidence or anything on your journey is your competency, your ability to feel efficacious in what you're doing, autonomy, which is your ability to choose that path to, to be responsible, and social support. For you to build your confidence after injury, as physios, when we're working with somebody, a lot of times we give the support, we help them feel confident because we're like, look what you did. You just did a straight leg raise and now we can maybe work on a deadlift and now we can, whatever's next. And so we do good at that, but we don't do a great job at the autonomy piece. And I think something to, to, to do yourself is step back from that clinician for a second be your own clinician. Take ownership right there in that moment. Take autonomy. Take the driver's seat. And you choose. You set the parameters. You do it. And I think as you feel more autonomous, as you feel independent, confidence is going to come. It's just like when you start walking and mommy or daddy is kind of holding you and you're doing it and you cry when you fall and you do all that. But at some point in time, you chose to stand up. You chose to take a step. You didn't fall. And you did it again. I like that. And I think people need to almost recognize the importance that if they do have an injury and they are seeking advice from health professionals to... If you find a good health professional, they're going to help you with the autonomy, the autonomous side of things as well. They're going to say, um, look, we can do these strategies. We can tape you up, massage you, work on mobility, work on rebuilding your rehab. But even just the rehab side of things, that's up to you as well. Like the rehab side of things, you take control of that rehab. That's your responsibility. Um, where do you want to return to? What sort of 
missing steps in your rehab ladder do we need to address? Sort of give them the roadmap, but then they drive. You know, you're just giving them the how to get there or if they're confused about how to get there, you're just giving them the roadmap. But we're not, the therapist isn't driving the car. You're, the, the injured athlete, they're the one driving the car and that's kind of where the autonomy comes into it because it's up to them whether they hit the brakes, whether they accelerate too quickly or whether they have a missed turn or like a their decision processes they make that they kind of if they make a wrong decision then that's a, a setback and if they make the right decisions that's like the the rehab gains and so they're kind of learning along the way and building up that autonomy along the way and so um, I really like that I really like if you're if you're a runner if you're injured and you have a, a therapist that's only just focusing on the massage you'll get better like come see me twice a week and then you'll be running pain-free in six weeks and you're just heavily reliant on that physio for your well-being and for you to return you might start raising some alarm bells or um, there may be some red flags there in terms of choosing that health professional who's only focusing on the passive on the short term and on the the reliance on the therapist yeah and your listeners are already leveled up they're here bettering themselves, empowering themselves. So we already kind of have the listeners ears that we have right now are people that are really trying to take the driver's seat to expand on what you said about the, um, the piece there with the anxiety and the fear. That's very debilitating. I work with, I have a skateboarder and his, his everything escaping his family drama step parents skateboard was his not just rebellious way of getting out of it but like it was his way of finding his individuation and when he injured his ankle and had a brostrum repair and full ankle lateral ankle reconstruction at a young age in high school not only did he have learning disability and he was struggling now skateboarding's taken away this individual went through is going through severe anxiety and fear of re-injury and that jamming that happens every time. And I I make no mistake by my experience. I learned quick. Reframing doesn't happen in 60 minutes, listening to a podcast or working with a professional. But what I am finding is that individual over time, as they become more in touch with those feelings, those emotions, that anxiety, that's probably in other parts of their life too. There is a slow, permanent progress you're going to make. So I can't sell you on the idea that I'm going to give you the package of getting rid of fear and going to run your 5K to start. But what I can tell you is the muscle that you're building to work through your anxiety is going to create a permanent we would call it a plastic effect on you that is going to stay with you. It's going to shape you. It's going to change your life. And that, I think, is worth being patient for. Yeah, and a really good message to finish up on as well. Is there any final kind of takeaways or maybe final messages we haven't covered or maybe something that we have covered that's worth repeating and highlighting at the end? Um, as we wrap up this interview? No, I think we covered a lot of it. I think everybody has gotten 
the the main message from me. But I guess I'll just leave you with this. I know that you're learning glute, the best glute exercise. I know that you're probably more aware of your spinal alignment than anybody, any physio that's probably in your area. You probably would school them at this point. Over the next year, my challenge for all of you is just level up your self-understanding on a mental and emotional level, not just from a mental performance perspective of how you can do a Wim Hof breath hold to help you run faster. How can you level up your self-understanding mentally and emotionally where this can carry over into areas outside of just your running performance, which by the way, is going to improve your running performance. And that's what I'll leave everybody with. Well done. Well done. Your podcast into to elite, the book into to elite. I'm definitely going to include in the show notes um, for people to check out. Is there any other social media links or any other, um, any other links that I should put in the show notes for people to find you and learn more about you? I don't think anybody understands the smile it puts on my face when I get a message from somebody that heard me blab because I don't get paid for this. Of course, we don't get paid for this directly usually. Uh, And so it literally validates my purpose in life when I get the message. So please send me a message on Instagram, Dave M. Meyer, that's D-A-V-E-M-M-E-Y-E-R, or send me an email if you're not an Instagram person, Dave Meyer at plperform.com and just let me know what your journey's like and tell me what you thought of this podcast. It, it really kind of, it motivates me. Nice. <clears throat> Brilliant way to finish up, mate. It was, it was a good chat. Uh, I just like, even if we weren't recording and we were just over having a drink, this is exactly the stuff I'd want to dive into with you and the exact same stuff that I'd want to talk about to learn more about me as a therapist, me as a runner and like the, the past injuries that I've had to deal with. So it's a fa- fascinating topic. So thanks for coming on and joining. And that concludes another Run Smarter lesson. I hope you walk away from this episode feeling empowered and proud to be a Run Smarter scholar. Because when I think of runners like you who are listening, I think of runners who recognize the power of knowledge, who don't just learn, but implement these lessons, who are done with repeating the same injury cycle over and over again, who want to take an educated, active role in their rehab, who are looking for evidence-based long-term solutions and will not accept problematic quick fixes. And last but not least, who serve a cause bigger than themselves and pass on the right information to other runners who need it. I look forward to bringing you another episode and helping you on your Run Smarter path.